Welcome to the Ask the Experts podcast. Here's Karen Bhatia. And thank you so much for joining me. We are coming off the heels of the shocking upset. Chris Colbert getting his first defeat against Hector Garcia. We're going to be talking about it and breaking it down. First up is Tony Page. He's a longtime overnight host on WFAN. He writes for the NY Daily News. He actually wrote a piece about Colbert before the fight. We're going to talk to him about that and a lot more. General Boxing. We're going to talk to him about who's on top right now in the boxing game, the industry and the business of boxing. We're also going to talk about Tony's career. He worked his way up. He was at uh, WFAN for 19 years, worked on ESPN Radio, a successful writer. So we're going to talk about his journey and everything that he's been through uh, to get to where he is now. And then I'll be talking to Herman Caicedo. He is the assistant trainer for Chris Colbert. He was in the corner when Colbert lost to Garcia. Herman also trains Luis Ortiz, so we're going to get an update on the heavyweight division. But before that, it's my conversation with Tony Page, longtime host on WFAN. We're talking boxing. We're talking about journeys. We're talking about careers. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tony Page. I am Karan Bhatia, lucky enough to be joined by Tony Page. You've heard him on WFAN. He's a writer for NY Daily News, former president of the Boxing Writers Association of America. And I know, Tony, that's only a few things that you've accomplished uh, and, and will ac- continue to accomplish. How's everything going in your world? Everything's going pretty well, man. Thanks so much. A pleasure to be on with you. Thanks so much for, for taking the time. So I, I know that you actually wrote about Chris Colbert recently for the NY Daily News. Um, you talked about his story from going from a homeless shelter to everything he's achieved. He, he you know, he ran his record up to 16 and 0, of course, coming into Saturday night. So before we even talk about his fight, what intrigued you about Chris Colbert's story? Just some of the things you talked about. One that he, he turned pro in a homeless shelter. He he has a chicken restaurant in Garfield, which is supposedly pretty decent. He's a, a supporter of people with, with autism. And you don't, you don't get those kind of, uh, I don't know if I want to say hobbies, but you don't get that from a lot of fighters. You know, strictly boxing and nothing else. But he's into these kind of things. He's, he talks a lot. Uh, but the sad thing is, as, as Muhammad Ali said years ago, you know, it ain't bragging if you can back it up. And he did a lot of bragging and, and he couldn't back it up, which is, I'm sorry for him because I feel really sorry for him because he was supposed to fight for the championship and the champion comes down with COVID at times we live in and he takes a, a fill in and gets beat. And I, I can understand, uh, you know, maybe you have the same focus, but you, you know, in this business, you lose a fight like this where you're right on the precipice of fighting for a title. You, your career goes back at least a year. Absolutely. He was in good shape, 16-0. Like we said, he ran into Hector Garcia, who was undefeated. Um, and, and Chris Colbert just didn't have it on Saturday night. He lost uh, almost every round on every scorecard. He got knocked down in round seven. So watching the fight, um, you know, we know it was a late-minute replacement opponent, but he Colbert just couldn't get it, get it started. What do you think happened there physically for him in the ring? I think it happens to a lot of young fighters. They don't have a plan B. You know, Mike Tyson had that famous line and everybody has the same, has a plan until they get hit in the face. The rest of that sentence would be, okay, so I got it in the face. What do I do now? And a lot of these guys, they don't, you know, if, you, if you're brawling with a brawler and you get, you know, you're getting hurt, well, then you got to change tactics. It's not working. So you box and vice versa. But I think a lot of these young fighters, they know how to fight one way. And if something's going wrong, they're out of luck. They don't know what to do. So they keep doing what, what made them successful 
the past 16 or so fights, but it's not working tonight. And that was the case uh, for him. It was definitely a, a shocking loss for him. And he has to go back to the drawing board. I'm sure he's going to change some things up. As you said, he's he's definitely an inspirational character from where he came from. He fights for autism awareness. We could see that on his trunks. Um, I wanted to also ask you about the general state of boxing and a couple other big players. Uh, of course, the top pound for pound fighter we all know is Canelo Alvarez. Uh, recently, there was the Canelo sweepstakes. It seemed like uh, PBC offered $100 million. That was that was the rumored amount for him to fight Charlo and Benavidez. He decided to go with Matchroom in the zone for a two to three fight deal, Bavol and uh, Triple G. Um, so why do you think Canelo picked the fights and the deal that he did? And, and how do you see, I know you've been following the sport for such a long time, though Canelo's influence here. It seems like a lot of people, you know, are waiting to try to get that sweepstakes and, and, and they wait into, for him to fight uh, and who he's going to fight. And then they decide what they're going to do next. So his kind of sphere of influence here. It, it, it's the same with Leonard, Tyson, De La Hoya, Mayweather. You may not be able to beat him, but you will get paid very well. So you, you try to jump the line, take me next, take me next. And I, could, I think he made the right deal by going to the zone. I don't know about fighting a Russian right now, the, the climate that we're in. But I think, you know, you, you get that opportunity, you know, to fight um, the guys from, from PCB. Eh, it's, it's okay. But everybody wants to see Canelo. They want to see him fight the best. And I got a problem with him fighting uh, Triple G for the simple reason that fight should have happened about two, three years ago. So he's 40 years old and, you know, he could say, well, I finally fought him for the third time. But, you know, they all realize he's the he's the golden ticket. He's the guy that's going to going to make them the most money. You know, a lot of guys for Tyson, they never made that kind of money before. They're getting knocked out, but they're getting that money. And, and I think that's it. That's the draw. Everybody's going to want to watch him fight. And if they're watching him fight, they're watching me fight. And maybe I can pull off an upset. Absolutely. And Canelo does look like uh, he's going to go with that matchroom, the zone deal, uh, two to three fight deal for this year. So we'll see how that that plays out before that. He has to get by Bavol. Triple G has to get by Murata for that fight to happen. Um, there's also, of course, heavyweight boxing is, is having a moment right now. We had Tyson Fury. We had uh, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua. And we now know Fury is going to be fighting Dillian White next. Dillian White didn't show up to the press conference. It was Fury solo. Um, <laughs> with this era of heavyweights, it seems obviously that Fury is top dog. Now we know that Usyk is out there as well. Um, what do you think about this era of heavyweights? Who, who's the best in your mind? And, and how do you think this era of heavyweights would do against other eras of heavyweights? Well, I'm kind of spoiled. I'm from that era of the seventies where every, every heavyweight in the top 10 probably would have been, would be a champion today, whether it's Shavers or Lyle or Quarry or Jimmy Young, even those guys could probably been champion uh, in this era, but the standard of boxing, it's, it's, it's so watered down. I mean, all you want to see is you want to see Joshua and Fury. Okay, that doesn't work. So can we see Joshua and Usyk? No, 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 no. He's going to go fight somebody else. And then maybe that fight falls apart. Maybe Usyk loses. Maybe maybe uh, it's not going to happen. But let's say Fury loses to, to White. Then they're going to have a rematch. And then that backs everything up. I, I think it, it's so it, it's like soup that's been watered down. It's just it's there's everyone wants to make that big score really, really quick. And maybe you don't learn the craft right, not, you know, the right way. You just let me get that big money and see what happens. With, with Fury, he's an interesting character. I get kind of tired now of guys yelling and screaming and calling each other names and pushing each other at the way. And that's so, that's so, I don't know, 1950s. I, I don't know. I just I get tired of it. And I think the fans might get tired of it too. They just, they want to see the best fighting the best. And you don't see that. It's, it's too many, there's too much politics involved. You know, when, when Ali beat somebody, you knew who he was fighting next. It was like the next guy in line. But sometimes you go take a, a, an easier fight. I understand that. But the way boxing is today, 
there's no eyeballs like we had in the day when we had broadcast television, where you could watch it for free. You could make your own decision if you wanted to pay, put down the money at closed circuit to go watch these guys. Now it's like maybe you see them on, on the zone or, or some other streaming service, ESPN plus or whatever. And, but that's still, it starts adding up after a while. Like I don't know these guys enough that I'm going to put 50, 60, $70 down to watch them. And, and speaking of young uh, fighters or fighters hitting that mainstream appeal, right? There's a lot of young fighters uh, in boxing right now that are making a name Teofimo Lopez before his loss, Cambosis, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, Shakur Stevenson, Virgil Ortiz. I mean, there's so many more. I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving a ton out. Um, with that group, uh, is there anyone uh, that you see as maybe the next Canelo Alvarez and maybe someone that can bring in some of those uh, mainstream fans? That's a, that's a great question. I, I don't see it yet. They're all in the same plane, if you will. I mean, I've, I've, I got to interview uh, Stevenson as piece done, and then the pandemic hit the next day, and that was the end of it. He, him, Colbert, guys like that, guys who speak, who can communicate, th those, that's the first thing to get people in, involved. You know, it's not the old fighter with the cauliflower ear and the bent nose. These guys can talk. They seem to be a little more aware of what's going on, but we don't know if they can fight. You know, if you put them in a round robin tournament, you got something there. But, you know, Tank Davis looks pretty good. Sakura looks good. I mean, but we're waiting for them to get to that next level. You know, when, when do you beat a top name? You know, the old days, uh, a guy like Jerry Cooney could beat up a lot of old guys. The next thing you know, he's fighting for the title. Well, there's a lot of young guys, but we don't see them. And, you know, part of it has to do with the organizations. I, I get fascinated by looking at the ratings. And somebody's rated number one in the WBA Number number five in the w, WBO, the IBF is rated 15th or not rated. I mean, wait, how can that be? How can it be? How can the discrepancy be that big? But that's been going on for years, and I don't know when that's going to change. I like, like I said, there's a lot of young fighters. No, no one has stood out to me yet because they haven't had that 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 quintessential fight that everybody used to call the water cooler fight. You go to work. Did you see that fight? That kid's good. You don't have it anymore. Did you watch the fight? No, it was $70. I didn't want to pay for that. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. It would be nice to get on broadcast TV. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was working at NBC, I asked one of the heads of advertising, why isn't it back on NBC? NBC did a lot of fights with CBS and, and ABC. And he said, we got tired of being like shook down. It's like we'd have a fight. There's a big fight coming up in three weeks. We promo it forever. You know, we'd interview the fighters on other shows and hope, couldn't wait. And then like three days before the fight, a guy promoter called up, said he sprained his ankle. He won't be able to fight. Oh my God, what are we going to do? Short notice. He said, well, for another 25 grand, his ankle will be okay. So that right there. And then that's when the guy said, that's when we decided to do the skins game, the golf tournament, because nobody's trying to shake us down. There's money to be made. It's in a beautiful setting. We don't have to deal with that kind of nonsense. And boxing shot itself the foot in his foot in its own foot with that kind of nonsense. That, that's a great story. And, and you definitely highlighted some of the issues with the sport fragmentation, of course, uh, the high cost of fights. It's, it seems like pay-per-view is actually becoming more and more of a thing, uh, unfortunately, for, for boxing fans. Um, you, you talked about uh, some young fighter or whoever that is capturing that imagination of the mainstream, right? That, that's going to be key for, for boxing's popularity. One thing uh, that boxing is definitely doing well is now we're seeing the elevation of women's boxing. Uh, we know yes. Amanda Serrano versus Katie Taylor on April 30th in New York. That's going to be a massive event, um, getting, the, getting the headline and the, and the spotlight it deserves. The promoter for that fight, on one side, of course, we have Eddie, Eddie Hearn's matchroom. Um, on the other side, we have Jake Paul. And I, and I wanted to ask, ask your opinion on YouTubers and other people from other walks of life coming into boxing. We know Logan Paul fought 
Floyd Mayweather. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing in your mind? Because uh, obviously they are bringing a different type of mainstream audience, and, and that does add to that water cooler effect that you mentioned. If they want to come in as a promoter and, and give these fighters a, a lot of money and, and a lot of money, a lot of promoting and, and marketing and all that, that's great. But these guys are coming in to fight. I mean, quote unquote, fight. It's like that's no, no. You know, you're I'm when you when people say I'm a YouTuber or I'm an influencer, I'm like, oh, please stop, please stop. It's like you know, you you're gonna go beat up an ex NBA ball player, or you're gonna beat up some some uh, NFL guy. That I don't, you know. Remember when I don't might be before your time. George Foreman fought five guys on one card. Uh, I think it was in Toronto many many years ago. That's that's about as freakish as boxing I ever got. Well, I stand corrected when you bring all these guys in who think they're fighters. It's, you know, you don't play, bo- you don't play boxing, as somebody once said. It's a dangerous sport. Um, I've seen a lot of, I've been in fights when guys died and it's, it's you know, it's, you have to take it very seriously. If, if you want to promote these fights, like I'm glad Amanda uh, Serrano and, and Katie Taylor, that's, that's a hell of a fight. I'm doing a piece on Amanda already for the, for the Daily News. And I spoke to a friend of mine just a few, few minutes ago. He's covers the pay-per-view industry. And I asked him, is the pay-per-view industry interested in women boxing? He said they would be if they had a, a big fight. You know, this one's you can't, you know, can't do pay-per-view on this one. But th- he said the people in boxing are not building up the fighters the way they used to. And he mentioned broadcast television. You know, you want to get eyeballs to watch a fight where you can't tell them, check, just trust me, this is 70 bucks, you'll enjoy yourself. Well, not, not really. I used to kid him and say, why don't you just pay me $25 so I can watch the main event? I don't have to watch nothing else. Just, just, just get to the main event. I can move on, but they won't do that. It sounds like you need to be in the corner office at some of these places. That's a, that's a good idea. The, the variable pricing. Um, yeah. If, if you tell me, you know, it's a hundred dollars to watch some fight, but it's $45 just to watch the main event, you know, just turn it on as the bell rings. I'm, I'm happy. I remember years ago, I don't show my age when, when the NBA was on ABC the first time, they would play at two o'clock in the afternoon. And when they came out of black, you'd see Bill Russell and, and, and Willis Reed walk in the half court to shake hands. That's it. No, you know, they told you if anybody was hurt when the first two minutes of the broadcast, they didn't go on. They didn't go on television until the first break, you know, just get to the action. So if you do that in boxing, I think you, you, you find a new revenue stream of people like, I don't have to watch, you know, Oh, here comes so-and-so walking into the arena with a hat that's on backwards. I don't, you know, that's okay. And uh, I wanted to ask you about, you were on WFAN for so many years, as we spoke about doing overnights. Um, and, and there was a lot of other folks at the station. There's Mike and the Mad Dog, so many others. Um, but a lot of the conversations throughout the day, which is understandable because it's New York sports radio. And, and for the reasons we talked about were Giants, Jets, Mets, Yankees, of course, all of this. But when boxing does hit, I mean, it is really it is really something special. Um did other people at the station follow boxing? It, it felt like the, the one the one guy who would talk boxing is you. Did other people follow it? Did they not get as many calls about it? What, what was the reason we maybe didn't hear uh, boxing more at other places on WFAN in your mind? They don't they don't follow it as much. And and one thing they didn't like is if you said just I think Sugar Ray Robinson is the greatest fighter of all time. You get nine thousand calls right after that. No, he's not. Yes, he is. No, they didn't want that. I remember uh, and it's. I still remember like it was yesterday when Lewis fought Holyfield in the garden. It was the draw, which everybody know Lewis won. I had Arthur McCanny Jr., the referee on to talk about, which I thought was pretty good. I got a nice bump in the, in the uh, paper, but I'm only on once a week at that point. So the next week I come on, St. John's is in the NCAA tournament. They lost in, in North Carolina. 
I had Dick Weiss, who would become a Hall of Fame boxing writer. Uh, I'm sorry, basketball writer for college. Uh, at two o'clock in the morning, was going to talk about St. John's. I come on at one. I get nothing but calls from the fight a week before, which I thought was kind of odd. Put Dick Weiss on. We talk for 20 minutes. We talk about St. John's. We talk about the NCAA tournament. What's the future? Who's going to win? And then from 2.20 to 3.30, the same, more boxing calls. And I, I asked my producer, what's going on? Why am I getting all these boxing calls? Don't you know this is a tribute to you? I'm like, what are you talking about? So they shut out, they shut off all calls about the fight Tuesday morning. And if, if you want to talk boxing, talk to Tony on Sunday. So I do that. And by 3.30, it went to every other sport. Then Mike and the Mad Dog ripped me for saying, why is he talking about boxing? I said, wait a minute, the station shut it down. What are you getting mad at me for? So that, that's... They, they, they talk about it because they have to when it's a big fight, but if it's not a big fight, they're not interested. You mentioned Mike and the Mad Dog, and, and you, know, you, you are in this industry, still in this industry, but you were on the air for so long. Uh, I'm just curious to, to your thoughts about when there is something like a Mike and the Mad Dog, or we've seen uh, PTI, Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon, right? Those, those amazing duos where magic seems to happen, right? And people just have to tune in. Um, you as someone close to uh, a lot of these, these, uh, these people, what do you think makes a successful sports talk show? What allows that, that magic to happen? It's, it's sometimes friction. It's sometimes, you know, yin and yang, you're going back and forth. You know, I'm, I'm not a yeller and scream. I leave that to other guys, but I can get my point across. But I think it's, it's the chemistry. That's the word. That's what I think all radio executives are looking for, some kind of chemistry. Uh, sometimes, you know, right off the bat, sometimes it doesn't work at all and you're looking to replace people. But I think if, if and, and to a certain extent, they should like each other. I mean, Mike and Amanda are on forever. And, uh, you know, it, but like in some marriages, it runs a course. But I mean, they had a hell of a run. And, and people forget that, you know, as much as the fan doesn't care about that much about boxing now, back in the day when they were doing fights in Atlantic City, the entire staff would be broadcasting from, from uh, uh, Atlantic City. I, Imus was there in the morning. It was uh, Coleman and Sims at midday, Mike and the Mad Dog in the afternoon. They were all broadcasting because there was a big fight and, you know, somebody picked up the tab to bring them down there. But that's what you're supposed to do when it's a big fight. You know, the, the World Cup comes around and nobody wants to talk about the World Cup, even though it's the biggest thing in the world. I, you know, my son played soccer, so I, I can watch it. I can, I can enjoy it. But if it's a big boxing match, they will talk about it. It's like they're almost being forced to talk about it. And it was great to have you on the fan for so many years to be able to hear someone talk boxing at a high level uh, as you did. So I, I thank you for that. I wanted to ask you uh, something you just touched upon, which was you're not necessarily a yellowed screamer, you said. And, and there was an article written about you. It said what makes Tony so comforting, uh, like chi chicken soup for the soul, is he doesn't have theme song, vulgar drops or scalding hot takes. Um, so you, you did it your way. Um, how did you develop that? Is that just you being true to yourself? How, how did you develop your style that, that carried you, uh, throughout, through so many years on the fan? My mother, my father, my grandmother, they were, you know, it's, I learned from them. But my grandmother, I don't think if I, if, if she didn't bring me out to say stadium when I was a kid, I never got into boxing. I mean, into, into broadcasting or, or maybe sports writing, but she would always drag me out to, to uh, say stadium on senior citizens day. And I remember we would sit in the mezzanine and I was like 10 and I would hear these old guys talking about who was the better center fielder, uh, Duke Snyder, Willie Mays or Mickey Mantle. Cause they only at one point, they all played the city at the same time. And that's talk radio right there. That's sports one-on-one. And I was just fascinated. My grandmother said, you want to go upstairs and sit with the young people? I said, no, this is, this is education right here. I didn't know about these guys. I saw Jackie Robinson when we were getting off the train once talking to people. And I just, 
she told me I was Mr. Jackie Robinson. I said, well, why is he, who's Mr. Jackie Robinson? I know who he was. And she said, he's the first colored man, her words, first colored man to play pro baseball. You know, my grandmother must be losing it. You know, baseball been around for a hundred and something years. He must be 200 years old. She said, no, colored man couldn't play baseball until 1947. I said, well, why is that? She said, because he's colored. And that makes no sense. She said, exactly. So I'm getting an education while I went out there, but you know, you know, they always say the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but sometimes the squeaky wheel gets replaced. So I just, you know, you know, let the let the callers yell and scream all they want. I try and keep it calm. I try and bring people back and, and want to, you know, it's like I always say some of the things people say on the radio, I, I, I say, this, it, does it have the beer bottle effect? If you were in a bar and you said some of the things you say on the air, somebody would hit you over the head with a Heineken. It's just, that, you know, you're not, you know, you're brave behind a microphone. And I just said, I don't, I'm not trying to be a false, you know, false prophet. I'm just. This is what I am. And I always say, if you don't like my show, don't listen. It's freaking two o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) And you had such a long run uh, as an overnight host uh, on on WFAN over 16 years, um, which I'm sure is one of the the longest tenures. uh, Nobody's breaking that. No one's breaking that. And that that was my question. Question for you, the, the longevity of it all. How did you do it for so long? Well, I asked once if I could do some stuff during the day, and my boss said, I don't think you have the juice for during the day. I'm like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> so I did the best, the best I could overnight. You know, it was, it, I, it's a different crowd. You know, uh, it's, it's a slower pace, though I've been on when things have happened that, uh, like when Tyson bit, the, or when Tyson lost to, to Holyfield, the first fight. I mean, I remember being in the studio at, at 1220. And my boss called and said, is, is Tony there? He said, yeah, don't wait till one, put him on at 1240. And it was like 99% boxing calls. I mean, I, but I've been on after the Yankees won their first championship. I was on when the Devils won their first championship. So, you, you know, it, you, you want to just, you know, make it a big tent where everybody can come in. I, you know, I always hear some women would call and say, I'm real nervous about calling because I hear what they do to other guys during the day. When they ask a dumb question, I said, no, it's no dumb question. I'm trying not to give you a dumb answer, but what's, what's, you know, what's, what do you want? What do you want to know? You know, and just, you just want to make them come back, you know, and, and that's, that's the main thing. It's, it's easy to like, oh, you're stupid and hang up. Like, well, you wouldn't say that in a bar. <laughs> like I said, the, here comes the Heineken bottle. And uh, you were on at a, actually a good time for East Coast sports, because like you said, if it's a big boxing match, that's kind of when it's starting or, or sometimes wrapping up. Same things with other sports, um, as, as you mentioned. And I think that's a testament to you that you never insulted uh, your callers. You always treated everyone with respect. They, they treated you with respect. And that's what made it such a great show to listen to. Um, you, you, you talked about race earlier and, and Jackie Robinson. And, and um, I wanted to ask you about that, because I know that you said uh, when you started in 1974, you were one of the first black on air newsman and and so you're definitely a pioneer uh in your in your field how how do you think race has has played itself out in, in terms of your career so probably being in the right place at the right time i started a cbs affiliate in tallahassee florida i was the first black newsman down there and uh even though that you know you could you could tell a little a little tension with, with some of the staff there the, the, in the front office the people I work with, the news guys, we were like three of us. We, we, we got along fine. And after a while, you know, they, 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 they really, you know, they just left me alone, you know, because I was doing a good job, you know. And, and, and plus, when I started to break some stories that nobody else had, that helps even more. So you have to know what you're doing. And, and it's, it's always difficult because, you know, Russ, I, I wrote a thing the other, the other day um, for, the, for, w, um, for the Daily News. The reason I got started at the fan is I, I, I was um, president of the New York Association of Black Journalists. 
I talked to Russ Salzberg about one of our, we were giving an award to one of the people who worked at his station. And we always talked on the phone, but never in person. I met him at a Nick Media Day. And he said, hey, man, give me a call tonight because of the fans looking for somebody. I said, what? They're looking for a, a, a minority update person. I don't want to do that. Said, well, are you interested in how the interview process is held these days? And that, that intrigued me just to see, you know, is it, is it BS or is it real? So I went there and, and I guess his advice for, for, for all people out there. I talked to my boss for 20 minutes. We never talked sports. We talked politics, crime, religion, marriage, uh, medicine, whatever. And the Super Bowl, this was a Friday. The Super Bowl was that uh, Sunday. I said, man, I better talk about the, it was the 49ers were playing. And I said something about the 49ers. I said, stop. But you're not an update guy. I said, okay, then what am I? I said, you're a host. I'm like, all right, fine. What does that mean? It's, and he said, you know, I might have something for you. And that's famous last words when he wants you to leave. You know, oh, great. Call me. Sure. And he called me and said, look, I'm going to give you two shifts as a tryout. If it works, I hire you. If it doesn't, I won't. And I've always, my motto has been, give me a chance to fail. That's all I mean. Don't, don't put me in the game with, you know, I'm replacing somebody with two strikes and I have no bat. You know, it's like, what, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I got no chance. Just put me in. If I fail, I mess up. I mess up. I'm not, you know, that's, that's the way it has to be. And race, you know, it, you know, there don't see many of us, me, guys that look like me. I've always tried to be a role model for people who look like me, but also a role model for people who don't look like me. Because, you know, if, you know, I've, I've had enough calls on the fan. Can I ask you something? Sure. Are you black? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Last time I checked, what can I do for you? You know, it's like, you just got to roll with it. You know, some, some people that call you the N word and hang up. And I'm like, you couldn't even see, I'm like, wait a minute, at least talk to me. Now you just think like, any coward can do that. You know, maybe I could change your mind, but you know, that's if you put up with stuff like that, you know, like I said, you don't see many guys that look like us. I think in the history of the fan, I think five guys, five black people have had full-time uh, positions. And, you know, I, I worked 19 overall, three, you know, part-time and then 16 full-time. And even worked at ESPN Radio for a short period of time. So it, it's, you know, I found my, my niche and I was happy with it. And when it was, I knew it was time to go. And um, a lot of people you hang on to, you know, they, they won't let go of the microphone, but I knew it. I, I, no, no, and I keep saying over and over, nobody asked me to leave. I wasn't mad. I didn't get my way. And so I'm storming out. No, it was just, it was time. I, I thought I was doing a good job. I just didn't want, want to do something else. So well, not do nothing. Certainly we're a pioneer and, and you had a fantastic career uh, at WFAN with, with the race conversation that we're talking about. I'd be curious to your thoughts on Brian Flores, the, the former coach of, of the Dolphins, now an assistant coach for the Steelers. Um, of course, his, his lawsuit against the NFL. What, what is your perspective on the whole situation? You know, no one wants to go to depositions on this one because this will be a, a blockbuster. I think the, the, the number one thing you have to look into and people aren't really paying much attention, not so much race. You mean to tell me you had two coach, the two owners that were going to give you money to lose? Did anybody talk to FanDuel and, and, the, and the people who bet and all that kind of stuff? Like, wait, a minute, what are you doing? That's 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 going to be a big story. But I think, you know, you you look what happened with with you know Eric Bieniemy. Bieniemy is supposed to be this hot shot offensive coordinator. And he's still with the Chiefs. Uh, Brian Leftwich still with the uh, uh, the Bucks. Uh, Raheem Morris still looking for a job. Todd Bowles still looking for a job. And then you, you know, I, I wrote a story in the Daily News uh, just last week that this, you know, this idiot of a coach at Grambling, Hugh Jackson, decides to hire Art Bryles. I'm like, did you not read what he's what he's accused of? You know, all these football players are assault, sexually assaulting women, and you didn't know what was going on. I'm surprised he lasted that long at Grambling because he tried. He was he, tra- he was hired by the Hamilton Tiger Cats. 
in the CFL, I think he lasted four hours. <laughs> the back, the back, backlash was like, what the hell? No, we can't hire this guy. I'm sorry, but I, you know, I don't mind guys getting a second chance. You don't deserve a second chance. And with all this going on in the NFL, you, know, you mean to tell me you, Hugh Jackson, who's been a coach in the NFL, you couldn't find a young black kid that wants to be a, a, an offensive coordinator and give him a chance? The whole thing is going on in the NFL, but you're going to bring in this, this, this flawed doofus of a, co- of a coach? Excuse me. <laughs> It's it's uh, I really appreciate your your perspective and you, you certainly nailed it on the on the head right there. Um, just two quick questions before I let you go. You've been very generous with, with your time. Um, what does life look like for you now? I know you're retired from WFAN. I, I, I believe uh, I read you're a cancer survivor. Um, I know that you've also said you want to write a book. So what is, what is life for for Tony Page now? Well, I got a book. It's my age, my agents had it for a little while trying to find the right publisher. So, you know, I want to do a boxing book. Uh, that's the next thing I really want to work on. But um, I don't miss being on the radio. You know, don't miss the overnight, to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I don't I don't miss it. I, you know, 16 years was was a good a good run. I had a good time, a lot of good. I think one thing I'm, I'm so happy is David. I covered the NBA for three years back in the early 90s. And David Stern, the commissioner, was my first guest. And so he's retired and I, I got in touch with him. I said, you got to come on. You're, you're my first. You got to be my last, too. He said, I'll, I'll come on. Because he told me when I got the job at the fan work, you know, he was like so happy for me. He said, well, what's your what time? We're Sunday morning from one to two, one to six in the morning. He looked at me and said, Tony, I love you, but I ain't coming on at two o'clock in the morning. And and so you go, you go in the office and you tape stuff like that. But I don't miss that. You know, the writing with the Daily News is something. In fact, I looked at my father. I've been writing for, at the news since 96. And I just I've covered television and all kinds of stuff. I just enjoy writing, even though in a pandemic, you know, you can, you can make a good uh, story just talking to somebody over the phone, like Chris Colbert, for instance, but you know, I'd like to do another book. Um, my wife and I want to get back to doing some traveling. We did a lot of cruises and the, the pandemic seems to be coming down a little bit. So we're looking into that, but I'm, you know, I'm just enjoying it. I'm, it, I, I got a nice compliment the other day because I had a checkup with my, my doctor uh, and uh, the, <laughs> the nurse was checking me out. I said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Are you really 68? And I said, yes. I thought you were in your 30s. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that's BS, but that's nice BS. <laughs> I just, you know what? I just I just squeeze as much out of life as I can, whether it's, you know, write, do more writing or, you know, I used to do a lot of boxing for international TV. That doesn't happen anymore, but that's fine. I, I didn't, again, I had a nice run and I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I got no complaints. And, and you had a wonderful career. You, you continue to, and I'm excited to see what you do next uh, with your next book and your next project. Um, finally, just to just to wrap it up. I mean, we talked about your your fantastic career, and I think uh, a lot of it was you had to put your yourself in positions for success. It wasn't like the doors were just uh, you know wide open for you. You had to to put yourself there. So I was just wondering if you had any words of wisdom or advice um, to anyone who may be listening and wants to follow their passion, wants to to follow the thing that that makes them happy, that gives them purpose um with everything that you've achieved what would be what would be your words of advice you mean in sports or um just in sports or, or just in general of, of following the thing that you really want to do i mean you were clearly passionate about talking sports and you were able to make this this great career and life out of it so um you know wh- whether that that person listening is is into sports or whatever their their passion is um any advice for someone to just kind of get up and, and go for it i you know we talked about it at the very beginning about plan b you have to have a plan B. And my, my high school yearbook said I wanted to be a professional athlete and a writer. So I switched the words. I, be, I ran a couple of marathons in my life, but I became a, a professional writer. Always have a, a, a plan. And I'll give you a quick, quick story. When I went to Florida a and for university for a year, I wanted to write sports. 
And I walked into the editor's office and I said, I'm Tony Page, New York. Hey, I know sports. He said, well, the sports department is filled. I need somebody to write a story on a sociology department. I'm like, sociology, damn. I said, all right, how long, when do you want it? And, and I did it. And so it came back and, and when it printed, he said, you're going to be a writer. I said, you can tell just by that one story on sociology, which wasn't that good. He said, you know how many people come in here and say they want to write movies, sports, review books, poetry, that type of thing. And when I tell them I need something on the pharmacy department or something like that, they turn around and never see him again. You came back. You're going to stick with it. So have a stick to itiveness. You may want to be a boxing writer, but there's no nobody's hiring boxing writers. So maybe you know how to cook. Be, be you know follow cooking. Maybe you want to be a, a, a mechanic. You know you always, but always have Plan B. Maybe you want to be a car salesman, but you want to be a mechanic on this on the side. Have one job fuel the other, or have one job fuel your dream. But you know don't don't give up. You know I look I I thought I'd be playing second base for the Mets, and it didn't work out. So. <laughs> selfishly I'm, I'm happy that didn't work out because that meant that we got to listen to you on the air for so many years uh tony page i want to thank you so much for for breaking it down for giving us the advice uh congratulations on, on everything you achieved and sure. and uh, hope to talk to you soon sure, anytime my pleasure thank you so much and that was the well-accomplished tony page he broke it down. He told us about his journey. And, and I guess, like I said, lucky for all of us that he didn't play second base because we got to hear him on air for all those years. Next up, we're keeping up with the theme of Chris Colbert's shocking loss to Hector Garcia. We're going to be talking to one of the co-trainers for Chris Colbert, and that is Herman Caicedo. I am Karan Bhatia speaking with Herman Caicedo. He is the co-trainer for Chris Colbert, trainer of Luis Ortiz. We've seen him uh, with some great fighters. Herman, how's everything going? Really nice. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I wanted to ask you about, we just saw Chris Colbert in the ring. Uh, we know everything he's achieved up to this point. He, he got his record up to 16-0, but obviously he took his first loss uh, against Hector Garcia. So how would you describe uh, what happened there in the ring on Saturday night for Chris Colbert? Well, um, I, think, I think it was a combination of probably a few things. Uh, but if I had to put, you know, a very simple finger on it, I think Chris had a horrible night, unfortunately. Um, Hector had a great night. And um, a southpaw um, makes it very difficult for anybody to just, you know, last minute, you know, you don't prepare for one. It's, it's you're fighting a righty for a world title, and then all of a sudden you're fighting a lefty uh, with less than, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks to go, right? So... That's not always a great combination. Something that, you know, no one in his camp, Chris included, or even myself, to be very honest with you, um, thought that it would be an issue because of Chris's ability to adapt either left or right. But unfortunately, you know, like I said, that night, um, Hector had a great, great night, stayed very focused, took he hella shots. Um, and, and just, you know, kind of kept coming, kept pressing. And, and that's the worst kind of Southpaw is the one that won't stop coming and fundamentally sound. Don't, don't gotta be fancy, you know, one, two and three, and just keep coming. That'll make the best of them scramble, you know? So yeah, it was a, almost a perfect recipe for disaster. Was it the short notice replacement? Uh, did that cause 
mentally at all? Did that cause Colbert to, to kind of overlook Garcia a little bit? You know, um, we're, we're in, we're in the, the COVID times, right? So anything can happen with a fight. And that's exactly what happened with Chris's fight uh, for the title. Something he was very excited about, something he was looking forward to for, for you know, even before he debuted as a professional. And, and then it falls out. Um, and then they tell you you're fighting, you know, somebody that, you know, is not as good, quote unquote, but not as good because he's not the world champion, but not because he wasn't good. <clears throat> and everyone acknowledged that, that the kid was good, maybe even better than the world champion as far as, you know, um, fundamentals and, and punching power as well, for sure. Um, but, you know, who's to say whether it, you know, affected him? I think it did. I think, you know, uh, Chris is a phenomenal self-motivator, a phenomenal, uh, confident young man. And, you know, he's, he's no punk. So wasn't going to back down from, you know, a guy that wants to fight. Right. So, um, I, again, I think it was just like a perfect storm of, of a lot of things. And, uh, unfortunately, you know, it, it culminated to that night, you know, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, Chris lost. Um, and, you know, they say the better man won, right? That's a saying that said. Yeah. But Hector is no way the better fighter than Chris. Chris is a superior fighter just that night. You know, it takes just a little bit off and, and then, you know, the rest is history, as they say. Hector Garcia certainly was the better fighter that night. Round yeah. seven, uh, Chris Colbert did get dropped. I'm sure you know you were watching this uh, from the corner. What, what were your thoughts? What did you see in that knockdown? What did Colbert do wrong to get dropped there for the first time in his professional career? Well, he walked right straight forward. He, he you know he attacked in a straight line right down the center, um, and you know Hector did a nice job of slipping the attack and come back with a good straight left hand. And it was a flash knockdown. I don't think it was a knockdown that hurt him. It was definitely a flash knockdown. Um, Hector was also privy to, to a little bit of a weight advantage. Um, Chris is a small 130. Uh, not that Hector was a big 130 either, but a little bigger. And, um, and, and uh, I think just Chris got a little bit desperate maybe by then already. Um, was, was understanding that the fight was slipping away and got a little bit desperate and walked into a straight left hand. Um, from, you know, from Hector's counter and, and just, you know, quick flash knockdown. He got right up and he wasn't hurt. Chris got a phenomenal chin. There's no question of his heart. There's no question of, of his skill. Um, and, and, you know, up until then it was still, it was still us in the corner considering, you know, um, a, a close fight up until that knockdown. And then, and then it was just, you know, you need a knockout after that. We heard you on the broadcast uh, speaking to Chris in the corner. You mentioned that at, at the last round he needed a knockout to win. You also told him at points to walk him down this yeah. round. It didn't seem like he was able to execute on that advice. It seemed like he was walking back most of the fight. Yeah. Um, didn't, didn't seem to have the pop. Was there a, a certain point where you said we have to go to plan B? And, and if so, was, was there a plan B? Well, <clears throat> what happened was Chris gave away, for whatever reason, gave away a few rounds early, um, earmuffs on and trying to walk him down and, and, and match power to power um, and tried to be the tougher, rougher guy. And I think those early rounds took a little toll on his physicality. 
and took a little toll on 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 uh, you know on the overall wear and tear of what the fight was going to be. Um, so the plan B really wasn't a plan B because it was always just a plan A to fight this last minute opponent Southpaw. Um, and unfortunately, um, I didn't, I couldn't have, not that I didn't have, I just couldn't have the last few weeks when the, when the fight fell out and, and, uh, and the new opponent was, was mentioned. Chris went back to New York at that point and, and finished out camp in New York. Um, you know, maybe a little bit disappointed that all that happened. Then he kind of went home for the support system at home and camp was a little bit, you know, getting to him as far as, you know, because just camps in general will, will wear a fighter a little bit. So he went home. And so we really didn't have him and I, um, any, any conversations as to how to prepare for a Southpaw. Um, and his coach in New York, I'm sure probably did go over, you know, some of the fundamentals because he was telling him in the, in the corner, some of the right things to do, uh, versus a Southpaw. Um, and, and Chris is very talented. So I'm sure he was probably going in his sequence, um, like a quarterback does progressions. I think Chris was probably doing his version of progressions before, Hey, okay, let's just go to what the coaches are saying. Right. He's a very independent thinker. He's a very talented and independent fighter as well. Um, one of those guys that you can just kind of wind up and let go, right? And just say, hey, we'll do what you got to do. <clears throat> Relies a lot on his instinct and his speed and his skill. Um, but, you know, when you give away some rounds like that, in my opinion, when you give away some rounds like that early on to a clearly a tough, rough guy, that's what he was, a tough, rough guy, Um you know, over a course of a 12 round fight, it's going to, it's going to beat you up a little bit to the point where when you need that rough last two rounds to answer your question, which is what he needed. And I don't think it was going to win the fight. Clearly scorecards indicated those last two rounds, had he won them, even if he knocked them down in each round, he probably still wouldn't have won the fight. But in my opinion, maybe would have just for his personal, you know, maybe finished a little bit stronger and, and whatnot, but you know, then there's the, the, then there's the flip side to that, which I agree with also, which is, you know, if you are a little bit beat up for throughout this 10 round fight, you took a lot of hooks from the Southpaw, you know, on the side and, and behind the ear, just little peppering hooks all night that I'm sure did the damage to the point where he just kind of said, okay, 11 and 12, I already lost. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm not going to just get beat up for, you know, for the crowd's sake, let's, let's call it. Like I said, he's an independent thinker. He's a smart fighter and probably, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro finish, you know, I'm pro, you know, go out on your shield type of type of coach. But at the end of the day, I do sympathize with that thinking, which is okay. Already lost this fight in his head, maybe. And why go out and, sustain any more damage in 11 and 12, which is when you're already tired, tired, let's say, or you're beat up or you're physically not as capable as you were, you can get hurt at that point. So I do agree with his decision, with his decision to, to, you know, box 11 and 12 or move 11 and 12. And, you know, wasn't going to make a difference. Um, he's an exciting fighter. He's the money side, even as a loser. Uh, if they do have a rematch, he'll still be the A side, I believe. And, and he'll still be the money guy. Hector's not going to draw anything. So 
not nothing away from Hector, obviously, you know, but it's just the reality of our business and our sport, right? The, the, the guy there is Chris Colbert. It's always interesting to see how a fighter deals with their first professional loss. We've seen fighters deal with it different ways. Um, you, you touched upon the rematch. Where would you like to see Chris Colbert go from here? And do you want to see a rematch? Well, you know, Chris, Chris is a, a proud, a proud fighter, a very proud. Um, he has, you know, he has ego when it comes to his fighting. So I would assume that, that Chris would want a rematch and, uh, you know, if in fact that's the case, um, I don't see it going the same way because Chris has fought rough and tough guys like that. He beat my guy, you know, Jamie Arboleda, who I trained to, to try and do what Hector was able to do. Because unfortunately, that's the blueprint to beat a guy like Chris Colbert is you got to do what Hector did. <clears throat> but Chris didn't allow Jamie to do that to him, my kid. And he went almost the distance and knocked out Jamie in the 11th round. And I can tell you for a fact that Jamie is a, a, a tougher, harder puncher than Hector Garcia is right. Um, he's a devastating and he's, you know, five ten, five eleven. So Chris has already beaten that type of match and beaten that pressure kind of guy. The rematch. I know for a fact, Hector's not going to win a rematch. Maybe Hector doesn't do it. You know, maybe Hector moves on and maybe Hector realizes that that was just that one night stars aligning and they do happen. Um, and and he, he got he got the better of him. So, you know, unless they offer him a ton of money that he won't make fighting somewhere else. I don't know that a rematch necessarily will happen, but I don't see if it does happen. Chris losing that. Chris certainly uh, taking the classy approach in, in defeat, uh, and, and I'm sure we're going to see him back again. I wanted to ask you about another fighter that you work with and train, uh, Luis I wanna, Ortiz. I want to touch base. I want to touch base on that, if you don't mind. Yeah, please go ahead. Uh, when you say Chris is a, the classy approach, <clears throat> he's got a big mouth. He'll tell you himself, right? But he is the kindest, gentlest human being. I met Chris many years ago when, when he was a, a young kid. He was maybe 18 years old. Um, and I asked him to help me, you know, and I asked his coach at the time to see if he would help me prepare for a title fight with, uh, a bantamweight I have, uh, that was fighting against Rashi Warren, Juan Carlos Payano. And he came down and he stayed about six weeks and he did all the work. And then, you know, I'm going to pay him for the work and he refused the money. He didn't want the money at all. He didn't want a penny. And this was a kid at the time that was maybe one and oh, he was just debuting if that, and he needed the money. You know, not only did he, he wasn't he wasn't where he's at now, where he probably has a couple of dollars. He was, you know, he was struggling. <clears throat> he didn't want the money. Uh, we argued back and forth. He refused to take the money. He came back for the rematch and helped me again and did the same thing. And the reasoning was that he really took to Juan Carlos. He took to the to the gym and the guys and and he felt at home there. We made him feel at home. It was you know, it was it was just like a like he really felt like a second home from New York. Right. That we took good care of him, et cetera. Nobody does that. Not a single person does that. You know, and, and it was it was money. The first time around was a few thousand. The, for the rematch was probably more. And he didn't want the money. So that goes to show you that Chris is, is yeah, besides the big mouth that he uses to sell. And, and you know, he's Brooklyn. So that's just comes with the territory. But um, he, he is definitely a true sportsman, cares about his peers and his and, and his, uh, you know, of course, his teammates and his coaches. So, you know, it, it was a pleasure to help him. And that's why he called me, 
because we've kept communications throughout those years. And, and, uh, and for this fight, it was supposed to be his title fight. When he left camp helping me years and years ago, I told him if there's anything I can do for him ever, never hesitate. I'm, I'm there. So that's how this all transpired, right? And, and being that we kept in contact even when he fought my kid, Arboleda, and, and beat my kid. I hate losing. I would rather win for free than lose and get paid. And that's my philosophy. And that's how I am. And I hate losing. But that night when Jamie lost, I was both happy and sad. I was ecstatic for Chris, but I was pissed that, that I lost. Right. But it's, it's, it's in, in a loss. I never, I've never had that mixed feeling like that. And so, you know, I really care about the kid. I think he's a great kid. I think he's going to do very well um, in the sport and, and one loss is going to do absolutely nothing for him. He'll be right back. And uh, I think he posted on his social recently. He said, if anyone had it uh, scored for him, they need to have their license uh, revoked. So he had some humor to it. Uh, that's something yeah. you rarely hear from a fighter with that fighting mentality. And I'm sure uh, he's going to be back. So I wanted to ask you about another fighter that you train, Luis Ortiz. Uh, mm-hmm. He started off the year uh, with a bang. He got the knockout victory. Now he did get dropped twice. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did you think about uh, Luis's, Luis Ortiz's performance against Charles Martin on New Year's Day? I thought it started off as a C minus and then worked its way up to a, to an A minus. Right. So, um, you know, Lewis had been, had been inactive, right. Uh, a little bit. Um, and, and his last fight was a 10 second knockout or something. And then, you know, so the last real rounds he did was rematch with Deontay. So I think he was a little bit rusty in, 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 in actually, you know, in, being in a fight, uh, it, almost two years, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, regardless of what you do in sparring, it's never the same. And then I believe that maybe somewhere, maybe Lewis was, was, was thinking that the Charles Martin that he was fighting was the same Charles Martin that started boxing that everyone was criticizing and everyone was kind of saying he sucks. Right. Um, and we can all say that about everyone who's getting started, you know, (laughs) you know, so I believed that Charles was the best Charles Martin that we may ever see against Luis Ortiz. I don't believe that Charles took Lewis lightly. No one does. They all train for their championship type fight when they fight Luis Ortiz. And Charles came in phenomenal shape, came ready to fight, was sharp, was on point, was looking very good. And, and, um, and it just took, it, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, Lewis got dropped early on one was a flash maybe both flashes no the first one behind the head was was a legitimate knockdown but that jab just walking in that 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 one was more like a flash knockdown but he definitely you know got up and finished and finished the job which is what you we want to see as a coach you want to see that two knockdowns you can get you know you can get kind of um derailed as a fighter and be like oh shit this is not going my way and start getting desperate lewis stayed true to you know what he's doing shook off the ring rust, started paying attention a little bit to the corner advice and then got going and got going, got going. And then I knew that he would, you know, that he would make the connection. Lewis is a phenomenal counterpuncher and very tactician when he's placing his shots. He's not wasting them. And he's, you know, he's memorizing what you're doing as the rounds are going. He's memorizing your fidget. He's memorizing, he's memorizing your eye twitches, everything that you're doing while you're punching, there's a tail and he he's very good at picking it up and he'll set you up with that same tail. So, I thought, like I said, it started as a C minus and I think it worked its way up into an A minus because we got the knockout. Um, so, you know, we, we, I believe that we probably could have done a little better had he started, you know, 
the way he he kind of took over in round four in the beginning of round th- four, the ending of round three, he started already to kind of show what we needed to do. But maybe that was just ring rust, you know, shaking it off, and then and then we got the job done. But Charles Martin, I want to say Charles was was at, at an A plus, maybe an A minus. Um, like I said, he looked sharp. He had an answer for everything Lewis was trying to do. Clearly, it was a little sloppy in the beginning, so it was easy to answer. But others have failed, you know, So and, and even sooner. So I, I, I think Charles looked fantastic. Can he get up again like that for somebody else? I don't know. I don't know if that's the new now and improved version of Charles and, and the team he's training with and whatnot. But I really like what I saw from Charles. Um, clearly, I, I like better what I what, what I have with Lewis, but I really liked what I saw from Charles. Charles Martin now training with uh, Manny Robles. We'll see uh, where that, that partnership goes from yeah. here. Um, Manny's a mentioned- great coach, so I'm sure it's going to go well. Yeah, absolutely. A great, great yeah. coach, great facility over there. Um, you mentioned the knockdowns uh, that, that Luis took, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this because one thing I've seen with Luis Ortiz is when he gets knocked down, he sometimes has very interesting facial expressions. When he was knocked down, I believe it was the first time against Wilder, he kind of shrugged looked around. Uh, there was one time he got knocked down by Charles and he had, he had a huge smile on his face when he got up. I mean, what was he trying to say there? Was he a little bit embarrassed saying, Hey, that was a flash that, that, that didn't hurt me. What, what do you think he was trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was. I saw the same thing. And, you know, I know when he's truly hurt and he wasn't hurt, he was just a, probably a little bit embarrassed. Um, maybe a little bit, you know, like, Hey, you know, it's no big deal. Stop all that, uh, hollering, you know, whatever was happening ringside. Um, but yeah, I mean, he wasn't hurt. I knew it was a flash. Even the first one that was a little bit like on the side of the head, behind the ear, that Lewis gave him. It wasn't like Charles illegally tried the punch back there. Lewis bent over for him, and then he just put it on the button. Um, that one, even that one, I don't think Charles um, Lewis was was that was that affected at all. Um, you know, a little off balance because of the shot and, and recovered. But yeah, I think it was, you know, like, you know, no big deal. You know, let's just get back to work as he showed, you know, just who's ready to go right back to work. And, um, and, you know, it, and the night ended the way we needed it to end, you know? And uh, speaking of, of Luis Ortiz's past, uh, he's only lost to one man, Deontay Wilder. Um, in the first fight against Wilder, obviously Ortiz had Wilder hurt in round seven. Uh, you, uh, you, you know, as Ortiz's coach, I'm sure that was the, the game plan there. Did you want to see the fight stop there? Do you think it should have been stopped there uh, when, when Ortiz had uh, Wilder hurt in their first fight? Well, you know, yeah, I, I, I've argued this and said this and, you know, uh, whatever, it's in the past now, but um I know that it would have been treated probably a little bit different had it been had it been Wilder beating on Lewis for nearly a minute and 10 seconds. Right. Because that's what Lewis was doing with Wilder and snapping his head back and uppercuts and body shots and hard, hard blows for over a minute and and everything but falling to your knees. But you don't need to fall to your knees to to, you know, consider a stoppage. Right. And, and, And the ref, you know, took it took the ref did his job to the point where. He took in consideration that it's a world title fight, right? And you should let guys fight. And that's what he, he clearly did that. And Wilder prevailed and, and you, you have that outcome. My big beef is in the rematch. When you have this history, now you have a guy that nearly knocked out the champion, was bettering in, a, in every single round until clearly he got tired and punched out. And, and then he got stopped of exhaustion. He got stopped of exhaustion in the first fight. It wasn't so much a a devastating blow like Wilder does with everyone. Just fell to his knees of exhaustion. So now in the rematch, you got that history. 
I don't agree that in in the first time Lewis goes down in in the last 10 seconds, dominating every single round, winning every single round, that the referee called it off. I don't agree with that. There's history. This is still a championship fight. They've beat each other back and forth. There's no more more time in the round. Let me do my job in the corner. Let us put him back together if he's truly hurt. Let us stay, stay close as a referee. Stay close. And then see if there's a reason to stop it. But just to stop it like that, then that brings me back to the first fight. Why didn't they stop it when Lewis was pounding on him? So, you know, whatever. We're not the world champion. That's why that, that's why that happened, right? We're, we're, you, you know, you kind of, not saying there's any foul play at all, but as a referee, you're kind of going in there protecting, uh, you know, the world champion. That's what you're looking out for, right? It's okay, okay, let's, you know, whatever. I guess, I don't know. I'm not a referee. I've never done it. So I couldn't even begin to, to think. I'm just saying that that's what I see outside looking in now, you know? And and to be to be fair, in that first fight, round seven, Ortiz did have Wilder hurt, but Wilder didn't go down at that yeah. time uh, versus mm-hmm. in the second fight, the moment you're talking about where, where Wilder did land the big right hand. Uh, yeah. Ortiz did hit the canvas. He, he did look visibly hurt. Are you saying that sure. you would have liked a chance for him to get a full count and, and possibly get back up to his yeah. feet there? He got back up to his feet. He got back up to his feet. He got up before the 10 count. He put his hands up. Yeah, it was a little wobbly, but so what? There was no more time. There was, the bell rang already, you know, and so he would have said, fight, stop. That's exactly how it went. He would have said, okay, go, and then stop immediately because the fight, the bell had already rang. Let me go to the corner. Let him come to the corner. Let me let me ice him down. Let me slap him around. Let me, get, let, let me decide. There's still a corner in there. Let me decide. It's a championship fight, the rematch with history. There should be some kind of, some kind of weight to that. It shouldn't just be, okay, this is a guy who doesn't really belong here and, and Wilder just flattened him. And this is number 180th world ranked fighter in the world. No, this is the best. And in, in my opinion, there was the number one and number two heavyweight fighting each other. Why didn't you give the number two guy an opportunity to maybe go out on his shield or maybe he recovers and he continues doing what he was doing for seven rounds and wins a clear cut great decision. You know what I'm saying? And becomes a world champion. So that's my beef is that you did not give him the opportunity being that he was on his feet. Yeah. A little wobbly, but so what I got a minute to work, you know, water, ice slapping him around a great condition. That's why we're athletes. That's why we do what we do. They can recover in a minute from things like this, you know, but clearly he did. If you watch the fight after he stopped the fight, I want to say within 30 seconds, if you watch the tapes, you're going to see Lewis beating the shit out of the ring ropes and the ring corner pads, pissed as all hell, arguing with her. You know, this is 30 seconds. You know what I'm saying? So a full minute of pit work on him. He's probably back in shape. He's staying away from that jab. Yeah, I mean, he's staying away using it like he was winning, right? He got caught because he got comfortable. Maybe that was a wake up shot and he would have just went back to doing what he was doing. It's all in hindsight. It means nothing now. But, you know, I don't agree with it. We'll never know uh, what would have happened had he had the chance to continue. Now, the one thing I want to ask you is, is as a coach, how do you balance giving your fighter that opportunity to go out on his shield? And then, of course, a lot has been made recently, as it should, about fighter safety. You know, we had deaths in the sport. Yeah. How do you balance that in terms of knowing when it's when it's the right time to send your fighter out into battle and knowing that it's enough to call a fight? Well, it's the preparation. So, for example, <clears throat> if you don't have a fighter, number one, who's a dog who can who can, you know, gut it out, um, then you should you shouldn't you should never consider it. Number two, if you have a fighter that's, for example, making weight 
and he's dehydrated for a week and a half to try and make the weight. And in 24 hours, there's no way you can rehydrate the brain to a safe status. Then you should never consider that. And, and of course, if you don't have a puncher, if you don't have a puncher uh, and it's a dog of a fight and he's getting beat up and there's no puncher's chance to all that, then you shouldn't consider it. Right. So in my scenario with Lewis doesn't have to make weight. So I know he's not dehydrated and I know that his brain is not in a, in a, in a, in a very susceptible state like you would have with smaller guys who are making weight and dehydrated themselves to all hell. And then that becomes dangerous. Right. And that's when you shouldn't allow that to happen. But I don't, even with my fighters that are making weight, do I ever get there? So I, I make sure that we diet down, that we hydrate down to weight. And if they can't do it, they're not in my camp because I don't want that scenario that you're talking about in fighter safety. My, their lives are in my hand, but it doesn't just begin fight night. It begins the whole time they come and they start prepping. So when they come to my camp for the very first time, there's a, a complete education course on how to make weight properly, how to stay hydrated properly, how to make sure that what you're doing is not potentially going to put you in danger. Fight. You know what I'm saying? Cut it out, Kaya. Sorry about that. And uh, no, no problem. And, and just a couple of other questions before I let you go. So we, we no, spoke no about Luis Ortiz, um, you know, in terms of his, his future, he's 42 years old now. Uh, how, how much longer do you think he will compete in the heavyweight division at a, at a high level? Well, um, he's 42, but he's 42 young. He hasn't really, he hasn't really, he hasn't really been like other than Wilder. He hasn't really been in a war war. Right. And even with Wilder, it wasn't a war. The, the first fight was more of a war than the second fight. The second fight, he was beating Wilder and then he got dropped and then the referee stopped it. Right. So it's one shot. Hold on. Let me see what the, what the dog's bitching about. Oh yeah. No, no what, problem. What, what's your, what's your beef? What's your beef? What are you doing? Barking at a damn mosquito. So, so in that fight, like I said, he just got, he just got dropped and then that was it, but it wasn't like he got pounded for, for, for 12 rounds and then he got stopped. That, that wasn't the case. Um, will he fight on? Yeah. He's still in good shape. Um, he's a healthy 42, you know, he really takes care of himself. He learned and, and, and took to heart, you know, how we work and how we, how we stay healthy and, and he lives a healthy lifestyle. He's got a family and that. You know, he's not out partying, drinking, smoking, you know, and then trying to take all that off in, in four weeks, you know? Oh, I know what she's barking at. Stop it, Kaya. And uh, uh, one last question for you before I let you go. So I know that you work with a lot of uh, fighters. Uh, who else are you uh, excited about that, that you're working with and, and who are you looking forward to seeing back in the ring? Well, I'm, uh, I'm really excited about Michelle Rivera, Ali, Michelle Ali. Um, he's a 135 pound prospect and he's about to break, you know, he's at the, he's at that, at that breaking point where he's going to definitely, you know, contend for, for a world title. Um, and I know why, because of, of all the fighters that are, you know, not wanting to fight him and, uh, trying to price themselves out of fighting with him. So it's becoming difficult. And anytime that starts happening, that's the telltale sign that something great is going to happen. When you can match a fighter, no problem, you know, with 50 guys on a list and all 50 want to fight them, you're not there yet. When, when, when 50 guys are on the list and 49 of them are saying they'll fight for 100000 over budget, you got something special. And that's, that's, a, that's clearly what's happening with Michelle right now. And, and he fights March 26th. Um, opponent 
still to be determined from what I just explained, but you know, they're probably zeroing in on somebody right now. Um, and then, uh, and then Lewis, we're looking to get Lewis back in the ring, you know, maybe April or May, uh, again, no opponent yet. And, you know, being 42 and, 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 uh, and competing for the world title twice and coming up short, you would think that he would have a little bit more of a line of people wanting to fight him in the top, top level, you know, the guys that make sense, because there's a lot of guys that will fight him, but it doesn't make any sense. We're not going to fight the young guns that are 25 years old, you know, with, with zero upside to it with us. We've, we've paid our dues. We've been doing this for some time with him now. And, and, and it's, it's a stupid business move at this point to fight somebody just to fight and, and to quote unquote, prove something to somebody. No, the fights that need to happen with Lewis are the top guys right now that are at the top. Right. So the furies and the, and, and the, and the Joshua's and the, and the, and the Ruiz and the, and the Dylan whites and, and all those guys, that's the fight merry-go-round that has to be taking place with these core guys. They seem to leave Lewis out of the playground and out of the mix still to this day, they talk a lot of shit that, you know, he's old, that he's this, that he's that, but they don't get the mix with him. They won't play in the same sandbox with him. So, you know, I, Wilder's the only guy, Wilder's been the only guy. And then Charles Martin, and you got, and that's why I'm saying I got to give much respect to Charles, not only for his performance and how well prepared he came, but accepting the fight, you know, make no mistake about it. We didn't take the fight versus Charles Martin, Charles Martin accepted the fight to fight Lewis Ortiz. Nobody's really at that time was running from Charles Martin, you know, and evading Charles Martin. He accepted us. And then that's, that's, that's where it's at. So, you know, yeah, I'm excited for Michelle. And, and then I got a couple of guys that, that are right beneath Michelle in that, in that, in that prospect, young contender status, got a really good Cuban 147 pound five and zero with five knockouts uh, who shortly, you know, be making some, some good waves, um, you know, and so it, it definitely is, is going to be an exciting year. Carlos Negron, I got a, a six foot five Puerto Rican heavyweight, 25 and two, I believe, or 25 and three. Um, looking to fight also in, in April or May, maybe even on the same card as Lewis, you know, uh, but he's very exciting. His only, you know, loss where um, was was uh, Dominic Brazil uh, in a fight that he was he was he was definitely doing very well, maybe winning by a few rounds and then got caught. So he's he's exciting now to to to, you know, because he in that time he was kind of back and forth from Puerto Rico. And now he's been here for close to two years. Just he made Miami his home, made the gym his home. And so. That, that always makes a difference, you know? It's it's never the same when you're kind of back and forth and not really just focused 1,000% on the craft and the lifestyle. Um, anytime that it's, you know, 50% or even less sometimes, some guys give the sport 30% and it's 70%, you know, everything else, uh, you know, which can include just normal life, right? And that's cool, right? but not for boxing. It doesn't work. If you don't give it a hundred percent and a hundred percent sacrifice, if you're a happy fighter coming up, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. You're 1000%. You're doing it wrong. You have to be very angry. You have to be very, you know, uh, uh for want, you can't have, you know, you gotta be needing everything. If you're a young fighter coming up, if, if, if you're a young fighter and this is for the managers out there, if you're giving your young fighters absolutely everything that they're asking for and they need for nothing, then mm -mm, no, it's not, it's not a hungry fighter. And it really, really is the, 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 sometimes the deciding factor of whether or not a fighter is going to do something or not. You know, if they need nothing, especially poor guys 
that have not had and don't know now they have this, they don't know that, that it could be better for them. That might be the top of the hill, you know? So sometimes the managers and their own teams ruin a potential great fighter by in their head, thinking they're doing the right things. And that's just overindulging a young fighter or young prospect. Some guys are, are going to do it regardless. You can put them on a mountaintop with everything they want, servants and everything, and they just have a little bit of an ego and some pride in what they're doing, and they want to be the best. But that's a small percentage. Herman Casado, I want to thank you so much for the time, for breaking it down. Appreciate your perspective. Uh, best yeah. of luck with all the fighters that you're working with, and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you very much. Likewise, thank you for having me on. And that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you to my guests. If you want to follow us, uh, you can follow at A-T-E underscore podcast. That's on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow my personal channels, it's at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A on Instagram and Twitter. That's at Karan Bhatia at, on Instagram and Twitter. Please subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com backslash Karan Bhatia. Uh, please check out uh, our show on iTunes. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review. If you want to email the show, it's asktheexpertspod at gmail.com. I am Karan Bhatia, and this was Ask the Experts. Thank you for listening to Ask the Experts with Karan Bhatia. 